I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. All right, today I want to welcome Rennie Gabriel. Rennie is a TEDx speaker and the author of the award-winning, best-selling Wealth on Any Income. After two divorces and a business failure, he was flat broke at age 50. He had to start all over from scratch. After learning what was not taught from all of his financial education, he became a multimillionaire in just a few years. He's helped thousands of people avoid the financial downward spiral um, vulnerable, blunt, conversational, and funny. We are looking forward to talking to you today, Rennie. Welcome. Thank you, Craig. My, it's going to be fun to be here. Well, good. So, um, basically, let's start at the broke at age fifty. Oh my goodness, that would be terrifying. <laughs> what what happened? Uh, well, fortunately, I'd been broke a couple times before that. So by the time it happened the third time, I knew how to dig myself out of it and had the confidence that I could do it. And one of the things that I relied upon was a 5,000-year-old secret, and I hope you and most of your listeners have heard of it. Uh, it's a book called The Wealthiest Man in Babylon. And the Yeah, no, no, that's new on me. Help me. Uh, what, what's it about? Okay, the premise of the book is based on someone who 5,000 years earlier, and it's based on some clay tablets that were excavated from the city of Babylon well over 100 years ago. And it's someone who got into financial trouble, fled the city, found out how to create wealth, came back to the city and repaid his debts and created wealth for himself. It's sort of like working a 12-step program from 5,000 years ago. Um, the simple point of the book is that you treat yourself like you matter. This, this is my wording. And what that means is whatever money is coming into your hands, you pay yourself first, meaning you don't pay the butcher, you don't pay the grocery store, you don't make your car payments, you don't make your rent payments, you don't do any of those things before you set aside 10% of your money to keep for the rest of your life. And that 10% is what you invest so that you can choose to work or choose not to work because your money is working for you instead of you working for the money. That makes sense. You know, and I hear that as a constant theme in those who build wealth, they, in, in good times and bad, they always put away some portion of their income. Yes. That's that's how it works. And that is what saved me at age 50. And the, the sad, I don't know, the sad part, the good part or the inspirational part is that I was only earning 5,000 a month. I was doing business coaching okay. and I set aside 500 a month. In three years, I had a whopping 
$18,000. Okay, I'm 53 years of age, and what I have to my name is $18,000. But what I did with that, with a realtor and my wife, my third final best wife, is we bought a little triplex together. And that $18,000 was worth $125,000 four years later, based on what we did to the property. And I borrowed more money to make down payments on more apartment buildings. And in five years, we added 47 more units. And so I'm now age 58 and we have 50 rental units and enough income that I can choose to work or choose not to work. That's impressive. Um, one, one of the things that strikes me is, so the cost of debt has just gotten much more expensive over the last two years. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and when we were buying properties, the cost of debt is similar to what it is today. Okay. Interesting. Um, I, help me connect the dots there because, you know, we were at, you know, historically low uh, interest rates, you mm -hmm. know, for over, well over a decade, what probably- No, a couple no, 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 no for maybe five to seven years. So up until, uh, okay, starting around 2015 is when the interest rates started dropping. Okay. So you bought these properties back before the rates started dropping and now they're just rising again. Correct. So they're back to the similar rates when we were buying the properties in 2001, two, three, and four, yeah. So what that would mean is somebody that's looking at today's rates and saying, I can't do it, I can't afford it. Uh, it's not an interest rate issue that would prevent them. That's correct. Uh, what it does do is dissuade people who have those super low interest rates at 3% from selling their houses, the places where they live and looking to upgrade. So that part of the real estate market is, is stalled out very badly. Mm-hmm. So what about the, now at the same time over the last couple of years, at least this is what I've seen in Austin, Texas, is over the last two to three, probably probably last three years, the price of housing has just gone bonkers. Yes. And I would presume that that would also happen in the, the type of properties that you're acquiring. Um, to some degree, but not really. The, you're talking about two different things. Uh, someone who's looking to buy a house is looking at the neighborhood, is looking about, you know, what's the school district like, you know, what color is the paint job. And it's all the emotional kind of stuff surrounding their lifestyle. What we were buying were multi-unit properties where the value is based on the income the property generates. If you can have an impact on how you change that rental income by the improvements you make, you have changed the value of that property. So it's a direct relationship. It's not all the psychological, emotional factors that have to do with house buying. Uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So based on that, what advice would you give to people who, well, and here's part of it is everybody has needs somewhere to live and, and living is expensive. And again, I'll speak from my frame of reference. If you live in Austin, and if, if you moved to Austin in the last few years, unless you're an exceptionally high earner, 
you're sending a significant amount of your income to your mortgage, how would you also do one of these type of investments? Um, it, it's a, your questions are great. Thank you. Um, it, you're looking at it from an either or standpoint. And I look at things from a how do you have everything standpoint. And here's a good example. Let's say you have, uh, it, it would be difficult to make the mortgage payments, even if you're a high earner and so much of your money is going toward your housing. Well, instead of buying an individual single house, why not buy a fourplex or a triplex where it's nice enough that you would be happy living in one of the units and then you have two or three other tenants making their rent payments, which helps you cover the mortgage. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So how did you get into this? I mean, so let's back up a little bit. And uh, I think everybody has an idea of what you do. Uh, how did you get here? What's your what's your path look like over the last 58 years? Uh, it, it was an up and down path uh, with two divorces and a business failure. Uh, but in the 1980s, I took a class from UCLA on how to buy and manage apartment buildings. And, you know, here, 2001, I'm able to put that knowledge to use because I teamed up with a realtor. And this is something that's really important. When I talk about creating wealth or growing a business or doing any of those kind of things that people want to have in their life, one of the things that I say is wealth creation is a team sport, not a solo sport. People don't have to do these things by themselves. I'm sure that you have clients who rely on you for certain things. And when people try and do things for themselves, it doesn't work. Now, I know I'm going to guess, you know who Warren Buffett is, correct? Of course. Yeah. Okay. And most of your listeners would know that too. Now, do you know who Charlie Munger is? It's his partner. Yeah. That's correct. Most people don't know who Charlie Munger is. And what I'm getting at is most successful businesses have more than one person operating it, creating it, who has the vision, whatever. Warren Buffett has a vision. Charlie Munger is what's called an execution master. When it came to the real estate business, we had a realtor who, who was a visionary who could see the properties and what we could do with them and where to find them. I was nothing more than the execution master. I managed the tenants and managed you know, the uh, repairs or the maintenance or whatever. That was my role. But I was still a one third. Or my wife and I were half partners. And that's how I created the wealth. Not by being the visionary, not by doing it by myself, but by being a member of the team. Okay. So important lesson there. It's It's really about it's not about, about going it alone. It's about finding the right partners. Absolutely correct. So how, how did people find the right partners? Um, well, it's several ways, referrals, relationships. Um, referrals is one of the best. I mean, when I'm looking for a doctor, I will talk to other doctors to get referrals. Same thing if I'm looking for a dentist. Same thing if I'm looking for an accountant. I ask other people who would be knowledgeable. Let's say I'm looking for another accountant. I'll talk to other wealthy people to say, who's your accountant? Tell me what he does for you. And I found out something interesting about accountants. There's two distinct categories. 
One category fills out tax returns and they do what's called compilation work. And another category of accountants give advice to their clients. Now, if you're trying to create a, a successful business, do you want someone who just fills out tax returns or do you want someone who's going to be giving you advice? Yeah. No, and that's, that's a really interesting distinction. You know, I've, I've, when I've worked with different CFOs, I've seen two types of CFOs by far the majority were previously controllers. Mm -hmm. And these are the people that no matter how much money you're spending, they're telling you you're spending too much or how little you're spending, you're still spending too much. A smaller percentage of CFOs come from the investment world. And it's night and day in how you work with them. They're completely different. They're coming more at, from, at, from the angle of, tell me what, you know, sure, we'll give you budget to do this if you can help me understand what, what it will do for the business. Exactly. What's the pro what, what you want to spend on, how is that going to produce profits? Yeah. And so there's a different, you know, you just laid out a different, but still an important difference between two types of accountant, accountants. Those are just sort of executional on doing the taxes, uh, the second on, on giving advice. So how do you go about finding those accountants that give advice? And that gets back to the referrals and interviewing people and having questions for the per person you're going to be speaking with. And it doesn't matter if you're hiring a, a business coach or a personal trainer or an accountant or an, an attorney. You have to have questions that you're using to determine if this person's going to be a fit for you. And it's based on how they work with their clients, who their typical clients are, uh, an example of how they'd handle a certain situation. Those are the interview questions you use with someone who you want to add to your team. So what, can you, could you give some examples of some questions? Um, yeah. Um, so let's say, Craig, let's use you as an example. Tell me what you do, and I will come up with a question that someone could ask. Okay. Uh, but, but I, and, and I see where you're going, but specific, uh, yeah, here's my question. I'm, I'm trying to find one of these accountants that you're talking about. Okay. So then how do I find one of these accountants? You're going to have to talk to several. You would first go to some people you respect, people who have wealth, people who have successful businesses, because that's what you want to create for yourself. And you would ask, who's your accountant? So you get the names of three different accountants and then you call them up, set an appointment. You say, I've spoke with so-and-so who's your client. I'd like to get together with you and find out if you'd be a fit for me and my business. You get together with that accountant and you say some things like, who are your typical clients? Now, let's say that you have a manufacturing company and this accountant primarily has clients who are physical therapists it's likely not going to be a fit. You don't need him learning how to work with manufacturing companies that have inventory when he's used to working with physical therapists who have no inventory. Yeah. So who are your typical clients? Tell me how you work with them. Do you primarily focus on the tax returns or do you also provide 
advice when they get to a certain level, like should they incorporate? Should they get a qualified retirement plan? Uh, how should they handle depreciation on their equipment? Depending on the business you're in would determine the kind of questions you ask the accountant. Okay. That makes sense. Now, one of the things that um, you know, I've noticed is you give a lot to charity. Uh, <laughs> yes, I do. Um, and it's funny too. I had uh, an author on my podcast. Um, you know, what, I'm so bad at names. I, I'm getting to the age where names just don't stick anymore. Um, but, oh, it was, uh, you know, he wrote the book 8020 Marketing, where mm -hmm. how you focus on the 20% aspect and let other people deal with the 80% of your business. And he, he's big time. And I'm trying to figure out how I got him on my podcast. It's because he saw how in his book, he talks about when you become successful, you need to help the other people, which okay. is what I've been doing. So that's how I got him on the podcast. I donate a hundred percent of the profits from the work I do coaching people, my books and other programs to charity, because I don't need that income to live on. The income I use is comes from my investments, whether it's the stock portfolio, whether it's the real estate, whether it's the money lending, so that when I'm teaching other people how to handle money powerfully, that's the money, that's the profit. When I take those profits and I donate to, to charity, primarily those that uh, save animals, rescued animals, or work with veterans. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, and let me just do a shout out to uh, veterans. I mean, I'm a veteran, but, you know, I uh, thankfully never f uh, fired a weapon in anger. <laughs> and um, but, you know, I look at the. Um, you know, I look at the impact that it's had on people and, and it's not just the impact on the individual. It's the impact on their family and, you know, and, and it's impact that actually goes on for generations um, you yes. know, my, my, my wife is the daughter of somebody who did hand-to-hand -hand combat with the Chinese or with the Japanese in World War II. And, um, you know, it had an impact on her, which had an impact on him, which had an impact on her. Right. So uh, could you talk about a couple of the uh, veteran charities that you work with? Uh, yeah. One of them is called Shelter to Soldier where dogs are rescued from environments where they might be euthanized or die. And if they re meet the right attitude and size requirements, they are trained as service animals for veterans who've returned with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress or other issues. Um, and, you know, one veteran I'm thinking of uh, was so traumatized by his uh, traumatic brain injury that he, he, stuttered so badly he couldn't communicate with his own family when he came home mm. and from this dog that became his service animal he was able to start speaking more clearly he was able to leave the house and attend like soccer with his little girls or go shopping with his wife which are none of the things he could do previously and he ended up becoming a public speaker wow that's so awesome. Yeah. So, That's... I mean, the dogs save the veterans 
and the dogs are saved by this organization. Dogs that would have been euthanized that have a purpose in life get to fulfill that purpose instead of dying. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, I like that from so many angles, you know, I'm, you know, my wife and I are dog lovers and, you know, and obviously as a veteran, I have deep respect for those who, you know, had to go into inhuman conditions and do things that allow us to do the things that we do in this country. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Our, and this is just kind of a side note, you know, so I was uh, two years ago, I was in a coma and the doctors were saying I was going to die. I spent three months in the hospital. And when it was about a month, they told my wife I was going to die. And when it started looking more likely that I was going to live, uh, one of her big concerns was that our dog would live long enough for me to get home from the hospital. And sure enough, she hung in there. She died about two and a half months after I got home. Mm, yeah. Dogs will, they want, yeah. They're amazing animals. We have three rescue dogs in our house. My stepdaughter has two rescue dogs. Uh, so they'll, and when she brings them over, we have five rescue dogs in the house. Yeah. The, so I was in three hospitals in the third hospital. My, you know, I was finally at the point Well, actually I couldn't type, but I, I had to, had to do something on the computer. And so I had my wife bring my laptop into the hospital and I directed her to do it for me. Um, that's how bad shape I was in. I yeah. couldn't type. Um, and so when she brought you know, my laptop and my briefcase home, she hung it on the uh, chair in the kitchen and the dog smelled it and the dog just went nuts and would not leave the briefcase. And at that point it had been two and a half months mm -hmm. you know, since the dog had seen me. Oh God. Yeah. No, I mean, they're so wonderful. One of our dogs is 13 now and she's slowing down badly and i just rescued a puppy from uh, a tenant who rescued it from the pound wow wow well that's such an honorable thing that you you know you give so much uh, you know 100 percent of your profits to charity one how do people work with you and, and two how do they reach you uh easiest way to reach me is through the wealth on any income.com website if they put forward slash TEDx, they'll get to hear about my journey uh, from my TEDx talk, and they can request a free nine-step roadmap to complete financial choice with a 27-page explanation. And they can get a weekly email with tips and techniques about how to handle their money or their business. Well, Rennie, thank you for being on Leaders and Legacies. What an interesting discussion. Thank you, Craig. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on and giving me the opportunity to talk about the one of the charities we support. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making an impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show 
including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.